Hi and welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast. You've joined us for the Pick Um Show where Rob, JB and Aldrin pick their likely winners from the week's biggest ties and let them into the most exclusive club in football, Club Dub. Anyway, less talk and more action. On with the show. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast, where the only question is, does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Welcome, JB. Hi, Bob. I'll take it. Close enough. Um, Just the two of us. Uh, I almost feel like bursting into a song by Will Smith. Or Doctor Evil, which is the which is the predominant version there. See, it's really weird because n- knowing in advance that it was just going to be the two of us, I had already tried to work a Will Smith or Doctor Evil reference for that very thing as well. But I suppose that's that's just why we're best friends. That's the that's the whole thing. It, it's like um, there's no such thing as coincidences here, JB. It's that it's that great minds think alike. Um, but two of us, and we also have, I mean, this feels like I'm heading towards a Spice Girl reference that I want to avoid, but two becomes one this week. Um, annoyingly, for our Tuesday recap show, I was, well, I was in the hospital doing boring stuff that was all fine, but meant I couldn't record. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and meld these two juggernauts um, of a podcast that we create, both the recap show and the Pick'em show, into one neatly sized but double the content type recording i feel like we should have come up with something catchier for that but that's broadly what we're going to try and do right i think what, what you want to think of it's like going to subway not a sponsor of this podcast no, and getting your regular sandwich but getting yeah. double meat it's right it's yeah double, it's double the it's fun foot long one bread it's 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 still the six inch but it's doubling up on your fit right okay i like that i like that i feel that now we have a bread-based metaphor i feel like we're ready to carry on and and as we just basically ramble through this bit thank you everyone for joining us um nice that our listenership has been going up week on week which i hope on the one hand means that we're providing something that feels broadly close to entertainment but also we can't ignore that one of the things that gets people interested in podcasts like ours is ultimately the topic of the NFL, and there is plenty going on. So we will recap last week first. We will get into some news that has sprung from the league in the last few days, particularly news around the Carolina Panthers. And then we'll end, as we always do, with the pick'em element and see which of the games stand out for us as our games of the week, and then pick our winner of those games and put them into club dub. Oh, also, JB, after we've done the scoring recap, I have... Um, no Google all noodle for this week. And although you're the only one playing, again, we'll ask the question at the start. We'll leave it to the end because those in listener land might want to have a go. But I think I've come up with a really good one. I'm about 50-50 as to whether you'll get this, but I think it's difficult. So I think there's no shame if you don't. Um, right. This is but, my opportunity to pull ahead of Aldrin. Well, indeed. Indeed. I mean, Aldrin, you know, in his absence. And um, I mean, I'd love to come up with something really creative and um, and hopefully he'll listen. So so hi, Aldrin. Um, just just busy. Just just busy. Just one of those things. But he will be back with us next week. Partly it's my fault because all of my various arrangements through our recording times out. So, um, yeah, apologies, everybody, if you largely tune in for Aldrin. 
I, I do worry that that's probably most of our listenership, JB. But let's let's see how we can do in his absence. So um, let's round up um, week five. And there were some phenomenal games. We're going to dig into some of them and talk you through our performances of the week. But before I even get into it, JB, I think we can agree, probably the best London game, I know I have a tendency to call these Wembley games, don't I? But London games that we've had in years? It is up there in the discussion for the best games we've ever seen live. Yeah, I'd go along with that. I mean, we've seen higher scoring. We've seen, you know, we've seen a lot of games that come down to field goals at the end and things like that. But this game felt like, to borrow a um, English football analogy, a game of two halves. Um, and yeah, incredibly entertaining, really good fun, great company at the game for us personally as well, which always helps things move along, doesn't it? But yeah, before we get into recapping and breaking that down, let's give you all of the scores from week five. And we start, incredibly, because of the time that we're recording this week, um, a whole week ago. Um, the Colts moved to 2-2-1, two, two and one, but I'm not sure anyone gets to leave this game feeling good as they managed to get past a pretty hampless Broncos 12 points to nine. We're going to dig into the next game a little bit more shortly, and I've just mentioned it. It was the Green Bay Packers against the New York Giants, and it's New York who kept Green Bay to just two points in the second half, got the running game going with Saquon Barkley, and were able to overturn Green Bay's lead to run out 27-22 winners. It's probably a season where the less said about the Steelers, the better. Um, In a game where I think it didn't go as well as they could have hoped, um, it was probably made as bad as they could have expected by the fact they were up against a high-octane, wildly motivated Buffalo Bills team. It's the Bills who win 38-3 over the Steelers. And then the Chargers against the Browns. Rather an odd game because the Browns are this year's team that seem to have a knack of losing close games. A couple of years ago, that team was the Chargers, but they seem to have got off that particular schneid and they win 30-28. to The Texans and the Jaguars was not a classic by any means, but the Texans keep up a pretty good record in recent history against the Jags, particularly as the Jags went in feeling pretty confident after some good recent results, but the Texans get their first win of the season, 13 points to 6. The Bears and the Vikings was odd in the fact that the Vikings played very well, got into a big lead, and the Bears tried to get the game close, occasionally bringing it to one score, and in fact that's how it ended, with the 4-1 Vikings winning 29-22. The Lions went into this week as the best-performing offence in football. We'll trust Bill Belichick and his great defensive mind to put a stop to that. It's the Lions 0, the Patriots 29, a remarkable game that I'm not sure many people would have picked that scoreline for. The other high-performing offence in the league going into this week was the Seattle Seahawks, and although they put up a good number of points in 32, Taysom Hill was the difference maker at points in this game, as the Saints managed to put up 39. That leaves both of those teams 2-3 and three and hoping to get back to 500 this week. The Dolphins look like a very different team without Tua, and the Jets did enough to win. I mean, bizarrely, in a game where Wilson at quarterback for New York only came up with about 200 yards and a touchdown, they were still able, able to put up 40 points, winning 40-17. to 17. And another bit of symmetry there, that's both the Jets and the Dolphins now at 3-2. and two. The, Falcon, the Falcons look frisky and they look like they can do certain things on certain days, but they lack the consistency at the moment of a Tom Brady-led Buccaneers. They were frisky, the Falcons, but end up losing 21-15. to 15. 
The Commanders, well, got down to the goal line pretty much as time was expiring and a chance to win and go two and three. But instead, I don't know, it seemed almost predictable that something would go wrong for them. And it's the Tennessee Titans that win 21 to 17 and Washington all of a sudden looking a little bit cast away in that division now one and four. Um, the 49ers proved that their result against the Rams was no fluke. They made an average Panthers team look incredibly average indeed, winning 37 to 15. And as I've mentioned, more Panthers news coming. The Eagles and the Cardinals, a game of missed opportunities, quite literally for Arizona, who drove down the field but couldn't score from a 45-yard field goal to tie the game up in regulation. The Eagles looked good in the first half, though, and 20 point was enough to take the Philadelphia Eagles to five and oh. It gives them a game this week, which is going to be my game of the week against the Dallas Cowboys. They themselves are four and one after a very impressive 22 to 10 point win over the Super Bowl champ Rams. The Bengals look good. They look like a team who may yet go on to produce something this season. But against the Baltimore Ravens, they met a team that's currently slightly higher on talent and probably just needed it that little bit more. As close as it was, it's the Ravens who win 19-17. And then in a game that, I don't know, I said going into this week, if the Raiders lose at 1-4, and four, then can they really come back from that? Well, the incredible thing is in their one-point loss to the Chiefs, I think the Raiders can take a huge amount of confidence. They look just as good as they've looked at their real high points this season. They just came up against a pretty much inspired Patrick Mahomes. So there is your recap for the week that was. We're going to come to the London game in the moment, JB, but any honourable mentions before we get there for great performances from great teams in week five? Um, Should we talk... Shall we talk about one of the teams that I never really like to talk about? It's not the big one. Oh, it's not the Baltimore Ravens. It's not the it's not the Ravens. Should we talk about the Patriots? Let's do it. Because I I think if you're highlighting performances of the week, you have to talk about and and again. Bailey, we know you're listening. We really liked what you did last week. Uh, Zappy, I think, is how we're pronouncing it. Yeah, and. Just coming into the game two weeks ago when um, Axel, Brian, we love you too, was was injured and knocked out. And now on IR, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And just going in, we were probably, I think we were probably expecting the Patriots to win, but not to the degree they kind of dominated. And it was a little... I don't want to say strange, maybe a little unexpected that it felt very much like one of those Patriots wins, like you used to get in the old days in the Tom Brady days, but it didn't feel like a, okay, this is the Patriots. Everyone's doing their job. Everyone's knowing their role and getting on with what they're doing. I'm much more like a team that just rallied together and pulled the win out. And that's not something you think of in the sterile image that you have of, of Bill Belichick and what he kind of does uh, does at the Patriots. You don't think of them as a, as a high energy team in the same way we talk about the lions, like, it, like not just the lions. There was um, the giants again, we'll, we'll come back to the yeah. giants later. The giants you saw with it as well. Teams that just rally around just the fire of their head coach. They yeah, rally they around take each on other. the characteristics of that coach. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it with the Jets as well, haven't we? And and I suppose there are a number of teams that do. But yeah, I think I, I get your point. That would probably be the highlight of the week for me because 
I don't really, I think we watched the best game of the week. Yeah. Live. Yeah. And we can talk about, we can talk about everyone uh, like the Ravens and the Bengals and how everyone seems to think the Ravens are great, despite the fact they needed a, a game winning kick to do it again. Justin Tuck. What a player that guy is. Just and also yeah. what a post game interview that guy is <laughs> because he's just shout out to the uh, Ravens punter for his first uh, game winning hold. Yeah. Gotta got love those stats. Um, we could talk about the, the Colts and the Broncos, but I mean, if Aldrin was here as the resident Colts fan, I don't think even he'd want to do that because that game was bad. There are some, there are some really odd things. And I think, you know, we've got to remember that extra game. It's a long old season. I don't think the Raiders are, are buried by any means at one and four, but there are a couple of teams in that kind of two and three, three and two mix that I still think could be in for long seasons. And um, yeah, I, I had a much higher ceiling for both the Broncos and the Colts. But it was a game that I suppose one team's got to win it. I suppose I suppose you can tie. But as much as one team wins it, I think I said in that brief recap there, no one can feel good about it, really. I mean, when the performances come the way they have, both teams probably expected more from their quarterbacks. But in a way, I think it's things around the quarterbacks that are causing more of the problems. I, I still believe that Matty Ice and Mr. Unlimited remain good players. There's a few mysteries, isn't there? I mean, coming back to... Um, the Lions and the Patriots briefly. I, I don't think this necessarily um, impacted the Lions or, or explains the fact they didn't put up a point. But obviously when we were um, listening to the game, I think at that point, there was what appeared to be a very serious neck injury for Sevion Smith. And he's, I think it was, was it his dad was pulled out of the crowd to allow to travel um, when, with him in the when ambulance. When we watched it, it, Scott identified it as... A person was brought out of the crowd. We assume it is a family member. Yeah, it's going to be his dad. I can't imagine yeah. it's going. It's not like going to be his uncle or something. I mean, it, it certainly seemed, you know, and and we've had a few of these over the last few years. I mean, as a, you know, as a Steelers fan, we had that that famous example in the the Steelers Bengals game a few a few years back, and it felt like an injury that could be significant. I mean, the great news is it doesn't seem anything like as significant as we thought. So as much as it is a serious injury, the injury to the neck or actually the, the lack of serious injury to the neck, I think is the biggest takeaway. So it looks like, you know, actually what we saw on the field maybe wasn't quite, um, wasn't quite as serious once he'd been fully evaluated, but you do wonder if that played a part and, and maybe kind of shook, you know, the players on both sides really in a way, but I think you're right. I think the Patriots performance against the Lions stands out. I think as good as the Raiders played, they came up against, a Chiefs in that Super Bowl mode, you know, a Chiefs that looked every inch, you know, as much of a contender as say the Bills have looked so far this season and, and others. I mean, they really do look the real deal now. They're rolling again, Kansas City, and, and I wasn't necessarily sure that was going to happen. So a few nice stories coming out of week five, um, a few that still remain in flux. Um, and before we get to the London game, should we do the news coming out of Carolina that they have moved on from head coach Matt Rule? Um, we have given him a lot of airtime the last few weeks, and I think have been pretty critical of the lack of movement, you know, the lack of forward momentum, you know, that we he's brought in another quarterback that's, you know, been relatively successful elsewhere and it's not really worked out. Um, was this inevitable? I mean, all the noises coming into this weekend was he had the backing of, you know, the ownership, but but was it ultimately a matter of time if things kept on the way they had? 
I don't think we were pretty critical of him. I think we were pretty accurate of him because that Panthers team was like capital B bad and not like Michael Jackson. He's bad. He's bad. Like genuinely bad. The, I try and avoid talking about my Steelers these days because it's a rebuilding year and the Steelers aren't going to be that good, but at least the Steelers try at least they're playing like last year with the lions. When the lions were one of the worst teams in the league, they were still trying. Like we talked about how Dan Campbell was getting that team to at least try and compete. They didn't have the talent to do it, but by God, they were putting in the effort as if they could. These pan this Panthers team, and I'm I'm sorry, Panthers Nation or Panthers County or country or I don't know what your fan base is called. I'm sorry to be doing this, but that team had given up. That team put had nothing in it at all. And that I think was the key. That was that was always the statement coming out of it. That ownership, David Tepper and, and the like were going to give Matt Rule time while he was rebuilding because they understood that taking that team, that franchise from what it was into what they wanted it to become was going to take time. And he had that time to do it as long as they stayed not competitive, as long as they competed. And there is a, to me, there is a distinct difference between those two phrases. And what we've seen this season is a Panthers team that don't want to compete. And right. and that was it. You, you got to get that out because other, the, the thing I always think about at times like this is when Michael Irvin is talking about the pre Jimmy Johnson Cowboys that he was on yeah. the end of like Tom Landry is one of the most legendary coaches in the NFL up yeah. there in the conversation for top five. And Michael Irvin tells the story about he got there. He was playing for the Dallas Cowboys. It's America's team and they were losing and they were losing and they were losing. And the response from people in the locker room was, well, don't worry about it. We get paid on Tuesday. And Michael Irvin's like, this is, this is not what I'm here for. I don't want to do this. And then you see Jimmy Johnson comes in and essentially in a couple of years completely transforms that franchise into a, into a powerhouse. And yes, Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman, that is a big part of that. The Panthers and Matt Rule do not have a, a Michael Irvin. They don't have a Troy Aikman and if rumours are to be believed on conversations ongoing, they might not have a Christian McCaffrey for much longer. And, yeah. ooh. I mean, I think there's a few things that spring to mind. I mean, Steve Wilkes getting the job at head coach. I mean, he obviously has head coaching experience from his year with the Cardinals. Um, and I think he was, he was not poorly treated. I mean, as a Cardinals fan, I, I thought it was the right time to move on. But certainly he had a lot of things to deal with in Arizona that season. Um, he had Josh Rosen coming in as a high draft pick. He had, you know, a, an offensive unit with a, a very experienced offensive coordinator that that just didn't didn't gel. And and I mean, I think stranger things have happened than him being able to turn that around, at least to some extent. I mean, Josh Norman famously, 
you know, used to talk about Steve Wilkes as being, you know, the best coach he ever, ever played for or, or with or under whatever your terminology is. And you feel like we were talking about teams that take on the, the characteristics of a head coach. You know, if they buy in, I mean, Norman always used to say, I remember him doing an interview when Wilkes was made head coach in Arizona. And he said he's the kind of coach that, you know, you'd run through brick walls for. And in a way, I think that's what they need. They, some, they, they need somebody to bring that team together because on the one hand, you've got a lot of people pointing towards the fact that they could be, you know, in position for the first overall pick in a few months' time. But there's another train of thought that actually a couple of wins and they can really start to change the mood around that building. And whether it's Baker or Donald, if they keep McCaffrey, I, I think there's some pieces there. And certainly there's as many pieces as you'd find on a lot of teams kind of of their ilk. You know, we're looking at a, uh, a New York Giants team that certainly have a few holes. I mean, they're not absolutely the finished article, but they're finding a way to win games. I see no reason why Carolina can't be, you know, at that level. Um, but yeah, I think if McCaffrey goes, I don't know, how does a fan base feel about rebuilding a few years after a rebuild, you know, I mean, it, when rule came in, it was the whole, you know, they were moving on from the cam era, although they did kind of very famously revisit the cam Newton era bizarrely for a small amount of Matt rules tenure. But yeah, it felt like they were rebuilding a few years ago around McCaffrey to now send him away and start rebuilding around. I mean, what draft capital next year feels, I don't know, feels strange. I, I think they've still got enough, but, but yeah, a- amazing that, you know, I know it's for very different reasons, but a couple of years ago, what John Gruden, Matt Rule, there are a couple of coaches given these huge contracts, you know, 10 odd year contracts. And um, I wonder if Matt Rules particularly will put people off doing that in future. I mean, it, it feels like an experiment that has just not not gone well, just not worked right at all. Um, but yeah, let's hope they work it out. A likable team and, and a good team to watch when they hit their stride and when all the fans are cheering in them. Um, in Charlotte. I, um, yeah, I do hope they get it right. Um, so if that was our big news, um, let's talk London. The Green Bay Packers, hugely supported in that stadium, started, I thought, really well. We saw a lot of movement, a lot of improvisation from one of the greatest to ever play the position when it came down to Aaron Rodgers. And we saw a team that put together some really good drives, put some points on the board. And I thought at a certain point, had the Giants under pressure, you know, looking at that scoreboard, thinking, God, we need to get points on the board. We need to put a drive together. And considering the Giants' first two drives, I'm not even sure you could call them drives, could you? I mean, their their first two attempts of moving the ball with an offensive unit that seemed utterly broken suggested a story that was going to go one way, JB. What was it that changed for you that completely transformed that narrative and saw New York come out of it four and one? This was something that we talked about before the game. Um, Cause obviously I was good enough to, to sit next to you and we kind of talked about how neither of these teams looked like they were, they were going to go what well, four and one. It, it looked like a yeah. bad team, but before then, obviously we were, we were joined by New York giants fan and club dub podcast, super fan, Glenn. Hello, Glenn. More to um, come about Glenn later, I think. Yes, uh, he will be featured later. But one of the things we talked about was that the Packers would need to prepare for the Giants adjusting at halftime. Yeah. Because that was what's, that's what's done in teams, not just for the Giants, but teams so often. It's one team 
makes the adjustments it needs to, works out what it needs to do to win, and then executes it in the second half. And that is categorically what we witnessed on Sunday. There, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't smooth. There were still points where um, towards the end, when Saquon went into the injury tent, went into the blue tent, and we kind of said, "That's it. That's it. That's not only is this the Giants done today, but this is potentially that's the end of the Giants' winning streak. They won't win another game without Saquon." And that didn't seem to happen. The Giants still continued to move the ball. And then Saquon came back into the game. And I think that is that talismanic moment that can happen when, uh, you know, a guy straps himself back up again, fixes whatever was wrong with his shoulders. Like, no, I am coming back into this game. We are coming back out onto the field and we are going to win. And the thing for me, like the, the main memory I have of the game, and again, we talked about this a little bit during, we talked about this a little bit after. We talked about it earlier on in this very podcast. Teams that rally around a figure, teams that take on the identity of a coach. Yeah. When the Giants were in the in the red zone for that, what turned out to be game-winning touchdown and got, I think it was a holding penalty to go back 10 yards, Brian Dable was fuming. He was furious. He threw his headset off. He was sprinting down the sideline. Like we, we were like, God knows how many feet away from him. And even Mm. we could see he was the same shade of red as certain parts of his clothing. And he calmed down a bit. They managed to, I think, fix his headset eventually. And the giants pushed through to get the game winning touchdown. And Mm you talked about the atmosphere of the game like it was such a a heavy packers atmosphere at first which it's going to be because the packers are a very well liked team it's the yeah. first time they've been over into the uk it's the first time they've probably played outside of of green bay wisconsin but yeah. it felt like an actual nfl home game and yeah. by the end of it what we were left with was the giants fan not giants fans the giants players on the sideline you see, and you see it in in act in like home games everywhere else, whipping the towels around, mm-hmm. waving for the fa- waving for the noise, waving for the fans, and the atmosphere seemed to suddenly shift to a. Oh, this they, is a Giants. They game. won the neutrals over, didn't they? Mm. And there was a lot of Packers fans in that crowd. I think you're right. I mean, they won the neutrals over. I mean, I read it slightly different, but I, I mean, it all ends the same way. I thought there were two things that were really critical. The first thing is they got a wide receiver going. Those mm-hmm. first couple of drives, that looked almost impossible. It looked like they weren't prepared to throw the ball. And it was a very experienced, uh, sorry, very inexperienced group of wide receivers that took the field. But I thought what Slayton did, those crossing routes, and then even when he started to go more vertically later on in the game, I think that what he did, even when he wasn't targeted, was so important because he gave a genuine passing threat. Mm-hmm. And I think if the Giants had just been left one-dimensional with with um, Saquon Barkley and Matt Breeder, who I thought when he came in, I thought did very well and ran really hard as well. I think if the Packers had been able to just fix that, just focus on the run, I think they would have probably found a way to extinguish that. But the fact that the passing game had just enough in it, and actually some of Slayton's plays, like I said, those crossing routes where he really got up to speed and was able to do really well with yards after the catch were really transformative. And, and by the end... I think uh, um, 
a D-line on the Green Bay side that was up for the challenge of the run game in the first half, like any defensive unit, just tired a bit. And I think the fact that, that New York did not give up on its strategy, I thought, gave them every opportunity. And, and it's funny that, you know, when you have scoreboard pressure against you in the first half, if you can get yourselves back into the game, it then, you know, so much puts the onus on the other team. And Green Bay... I mean, so bizarre. They had two plays, didn't they? Was it third and one, fourth and one, or third and two, fourth and two? I think the last two offensive plays that were batted down prior to the safety. And you thought that's as a result of pressure of so many types. You know, the fact that defense really rallied and, and you know, made plays. And, you know, there were players who were absolutely getting in the face of, of Aaron Rodgers. But also the fact that there was that scoreboard pressure, that game clock, you know, the time pressure as we, we got down into the final few minutes. And all of that gave us an absolute, well, put on an absolute show, didn't it? It was one of the most dramatic high drama games I've ever seen in the flesh. And it, it, um, everyone's well eyes were on the field. Like yeah. this wasn't like we didn't do the helmet shuffle, which I'm a little bit disappointed. But I love the helmet shuffle. <laughs> For those of you we, go to these games, you'll know what we mean. Yeah, we we didn't do the wave. Like the Mexican wave ev- is always a sign of a dull game, isn't it? As everyone, much as it can be fun. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was glued to what was going on it, and. If my main memory from that is is Dabble, who who may be running up there in terms of my favourite coaches for other teams, because yeah. he he like two out of what five games so far have have been involving him screaming at someone and properly losing yeah. his mind. Great, but the other one for the Packers has to be of that poor old Packers fan in front of us who, when they were talking about how much time there was left in the game, was like, put 25 seconds on the clock. And he was like, yeah, clapping his hands and and Gene himself. 25 seconds. We can still do this. We can, we can still, we can still come back. And there was a part of me that really wanted to just tap him on the shoulder and just be like, mate, I'm really sorry to break this to you, but it's, it's not going to happen because Like you, you're getting into Hail Mary territory with yeah. the Hail Mary quarterback the, yeah. that you, you would want. Oh, the guy you'd pick. Yeah. Yeah. And just none of that magic felt there. Like we were all so excited to come and see like yeah. Aaron Rodgers, like multiple time MVP, defending MVP, depending one of the best to play MVP, the position. Yeah. And he just smothered. Sorry I mean, to, the, the yeah. Giants in the second half smothered him. And it was, I mean, it was, Market. I mean, again, this is all getting a bit personal, isn't it? But my my cousin was at game, a Packers fan, um, Dan, who came up to me and said, you know, they kept us to just those two points in the set, literally just the safety, right? That that effectively New York conceded rather than Green Bay scoring. And it hadn't dawned on me watching the game that that's what New York had done. You know, as, as much as I'd obviously, you know, I knew what the score was at halftime. There, there wasn't a point where that had really clicked in my mind. And I think that was just so impressive. I mean, it wasn't the most high-scoring game. You know, no team, you know, breached that 30-point barrier. But just how impressive for one of the greatest of all time to be kept to no points in the second half. Um, I think that was a real statement about how good a unit the Giants might have on defence. Um, coming into this week, Saquon's questionable. They've still got a whole host of wide receivers out. But um, but you know what? It- at at 4-1... and one, Good luck to them. I mean, they, they're obviously doing something right. If we compare the Giants to the Panthers, 
I think both of them have equal issues in terms of player personnel. Like, yeah. I, I, I was, I, I was, I don't want to say I was impressed with Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones was a functional average quarterback. Oh, he played and, played a, an error free game, which yeah. was critical. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I still, I still, if I was a Giants fan, I would still want someone with a bit more flair, a bit more panaz, pizzazz, someone that you could look at and be like, like uh, Terrell Owens, like that's my quarterback. You're like getting emotional yeah. over it, and. The same with the wide receiver things and everything. I think the difference is you look at the Giants and being like, that team knows what they need to do. That coaching staff has the sense to make adjustments and go to what they're good at. And Mm. the Giants may not win another game this season. Just like the Panthers may not win another game this season or the Lions may not win another game this season. Mm. But of all of them, the Panthers would be the one that I would be worried about because the Giants, to me, have an identity. Yeah, they have that unity, fire. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you can bring in new players. It hasn't worked out for them recently. Yeah. Look at the Kenny Golladay Kenny situation. Golliday that is, didn't work out. Disaster, but you yeah. know what? It's fine. Just because it didn't work out once doesn't mean it's never going to work out again. And, and Kenny Golladay's got time to get it right. I mean, it feels like he's maybe not bought in and not working, you know. So, But then you know, maybe he comes back into a team that's been performing well and winning games and the pressures. Are, I, I don't know, you know, if, if this season teaches me anything, it teaches me that, you know, we ultimately know nothing. Um, we owe the Seattle Seahawks um, for that, don't we? But, but yeah, I, I kind of, it was hard not to root for the Giants and yeah, I think they've got some good things going on. I mean, the Daniel Jones point you make, I never think it's it's um, you know damning with faint praise to say an average quarterback. The thing about Daniel Jones is he's not in one of the big five or six, but there are probably 10 or 12 quarterbacks that I think if you offered them to the New York Giants, they wouldn't swap Daniel Jones for. I mean, is Daniel Jones, you know, not as good as Matt Ryan? Is he not as good as Baker Mayfield, is he not as good? You know, there's a whole host of quarterbacks that when you start to look at it, you think, you know, maybe, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, I mean, how many quarterbacks truly in the league are better, clearly better than Daniel Jones? And I think as much as there are some, I don't think there's as many as people might think. I think if he's able to keep um, basically his turnover ratio right, you know, if he's able to keep on the right side and, and minimize interceptions, um, they could still do something pretty interesting this year. But um, great game, JB. I'm with you. Um, one of the best we've ever seen live and in person. Um, so now that's our recap done. Um, we'll head into our pick'em element. But before we do, um, no Google all noodle. If I was to talk to you about the football team in Tennessee, JB, what could you tell me about the football team in the NFL in Tennessee? Uh, that they were originally the team that now exists in Houston. Okay, they had yeah. A, they had a different name. Well. They had much better uniforms. Yeah, I do miss the Oilers uniforms. Um, yeah, so you, you're leading me beautifully. Um, the Tennessee Titans, formerly the Tennessee Oilers, before that the Houston Oilers, we know that the team in Tennessee had another name before they became the Titans. But do you know that one of the teams in the NFL was called the Titans 
before they adopted their current NFL name? Now, you may know the answer to that because that is today's no Google all noodle. Which NFL team were called the Titans before adopting their current name? So we're going to come back to that at the end. Um, but yeah, those of you in listener land, feel free to play along. I've got to be honest, I didn't know this before I started looking into NFL trivia for this week. Um, but yeah, all fascinating stuff. So if that's our segue, we're now into the pick and part of our pod, which means, JB, we have got a full slate of games. There's only two of us here, so you can pick first. I would like to know your game of the week and then start breaking it down for us, leading us to the point where you're going to put one of these in club dub. So for week six, what have you gone for? So as, as a bit of an intro and a, a, a reveal behind the curtain for all of our listeners, what JB Hi. is trying to do this this uh, this year is try and hit at least one game that involves every single team in our league. Right. And sometimes that means you could get to talk about some absolute rippers. And sometimes it means you're going to talk about the Browns and the Patriots. And that's what we're going to do today. And it's how, how do you make this game sound exciting? How do you make this game sound interesting? Well, let's talk about who's, who's playing in it. In some ways we can call this the, the Jake brisket revenge game, obviously started out as a, as yeah. a player for the Patriots, but I think it's also kind of a, a sign of where we're going with both of them because like Mac Jones took the Patriots to this, to the, the playoffs about to say the Super Bowl. then that was <laughs> yeah, wrong. Not quite yet. He, he took them to the playoffs in his rookie year and like everybody's like, oh yeah, the Patriots have, have, they've made a good pick. They've got the guy that can lead the offense. And then in the off season this year, there was an awful lot of conversation of, huh, kind of going backwards a little bit. And Ch- change of coordinator can do that for a young yes. quarterback, but yes. Yeah. You're absolutely you are, fair to pick out that those were the things that were circulated. You are, you are losing a, like a coordinator who has been there for a very, very long time in both tenures with the team, a team that has kind of sat with sat under the learning tree of Tom Brady guided Tom Brady to a degree into what he's become. And a guy that you, you can see, okay, well, we can see what he's trying to do with Mac Jones. We now have a have a, uh, a situation where I don't believe the Patriots have a defensive coordinator officially, but the last, I think last time we knew the plays were called by Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo, and they don't really have an offensive coordinator either. And the plays are being called by Matt Patricia and yeah. Joe judge. And if yeah. you are, an NFL fan of the last <laughs> few years at the very least, yeah. you will recognize those two names as two of the absolute worst head coaches we have seen in recent years. But as well as that, also being incredibly defensive minded head coaches. And that feels weird to me, but I yeah. can kind of see the logic because if they're, if their brains are tuned into how do we build a defense that stops offense, there is surely a logic in that of, well, then they must be really good at working out what a defense's weak points are because they'd know what they'd want to fix. So they'd know where to attack. And it's a little bit. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, if anyone would know if that would work, I feel it's Bill Belichick. Yeah. I think whenever you doubt Bill Belichick, we were talking about this on the, on the, in the car, weren't we, on the way back from the the London game on Sunday. You know, a few years ago, there was this whole thing about, is Belichick the greatest coach of all time? Like, was Brady the greatest quarterback of all time? And obviously, when the two of them separated 
for a lot of fans and I think for a lot of websites and media outlets and probably podcasts like ours, there was a lot of chat about who's made the other successful. You know, is it Belichick behind Brady, Brady behind Belichick? And I think a lot of people have gone, well, Brady's gone on and won a Super Bowl elsewhere. You know, surely the greatest quarterback of all time. Now that I don't doubt. Brady being the GOAT, stamp that. I'm absolutely on board. But I think these people who somehow believe that Belichick is less of a coach because of the trajectory of the um, Patriots since Brady departed, that's not the case at all. I mean, what we saw at the weekend, you were just talking about a 29-0 win against the highest scoring offense in the league. That is Belichick being brilliant. And it's him trying new things and innovating. And if he believes the best method is to not have a traditional OCDC kind of in the way that other teams do, if anyone's going to make that work, it's him. Yeah, I, I don't doubt him for a second. And I think he is truly the greatest, greatest coach the game has ever seen. Yeah, there is. And that's, that to me is where the intrigue in, not, not necessarily just this game, this the Browns game. And we will come to the Browns. Don't worry, Browns fans. But the interest for any Patriots thing going forwards is okay. What are they going to do this time? How are they going to recover from this kind of thing? And I think I do not believe it would be unfair to accuse the Patriots of maybe slipping into some bad habits in terms of players recently. Like you, we, we have the stories of like, Oh, you know, they managed to persuade Randy Moss to come and be a Patriot or the stories of Belichick recruiting um, the former Charger, Rodney, oh, I can't remember his surname, the the defensive back, who he does the commentary for NBC now, the analytics. Um, we'll come back to that. <laughs> okay. you, you talk about who those kind of, you talk about those kinds of things. And the Patriots, I think, had started to lean a little bit into the, well, we've got Tom Brady, that's kind of all we really need. He will level up the players around him. And when you don't have Gronk anymore and you don't have Julian Edelman anymore, suddenly, and you don't have Tom Brady anymore, obviously, suddenly the cupboard looks a little bit barer and you can't quite make a gourmet meal out of uh, a can of tuna and some bread. Uh, Okay. And, that's that to me is is almost like the Patriots are in a rebuild and continue to be in a rebuild with no one really talking. Yeah. It's not really focused on in the same way it is for the Steelers or for to continue to bring the Panthers as, as the Panthers seem to be the vein, the spine of this podcast. Yeah, you don't talk about a lot of that, and it's just interesting. And part of that will come from uh, from Belichick and and what he does. And it's it's almost like I think when Brady left. Um, they had the Patriots had that season where they tried to make the best out of Cam Newton that just yeah. wasn't doesn't have it and didn't have the magic then. Yeah, and you kind of looked and thought, okay, well, is this finally the time that we can just for a few years we can count the Patriots out? And what it appears to be saying is no, you yeah. can never actually count the Patriots out until it's until it is guaranteed that they're done because yeah. they they have take again to take on the identity of the coach, but the identity of the coach is, well, we're just going to do our job. So yeah, that'll be it. I mean, they are 
really good at that. And and I mean, look, the other thing, I appreciate your point about personnel. Um, Rodney Harrison, are you thinking Rodney of? Rodney Harrison, back to that. thank um, you very much. But the, the thing about personnel, the point you make is, is good. I don't think they have the greatest depth or the greatest talent, particularly on the roster. And that is something you could level at Belichick because he's more of a GM than probably a lot of coaches. I mean, Pete Carroll's a bit like that as well. But the point I would make is that even with a better roster, how many rosters survive and remain competitive when you're down to your third quarterback? I mean, look at Miami and and what's happened there. I mean, the reality is he, Belichick, always gives them a chance because of when it comes to individual game plans, he can see things and he can scheme things that I still think no one else sees. So yeah, the, the fact that they could be, what are they at the moment? Are they two and three, the Patriots? Could they be three and three after this weekend and back to 500? Yes. I mean, you can't count them out. Um, the Browns, the Browns are an even more bizarre one for me, JB, because here's the question. At what point do we start looking at the record and going, you know what, if they get Deshaun Watson back and this guy, I mean, it's a long time out of the league, right? There's a lot of ifs and buts. But if they can get Deshaun Watson and he hits the ground running, I mean, is Jake Brisket, is Jacoby Brissett, and, you know, ultimately two great running backs, are they going to be relevant by the time Deshaun, I was about to say walks into the building, but he's back in the building this week, isn't he? But by the time he heads onto the field, are they still going to be relevant? What have you seen from them? We here at the Club Dub Football Podcast are talking specifically about Deshaun Watson from an on-the-field performance point of view. Deshaun Watson, the football player. Correct answer, yeah. And Deshaun Watson, the football player, if he can continue to play at the level he played at a year and a half ago, the last time he played any football, then immediately makes the team more competitive. And I don't care who the team is. Uh, outside of a t- outside of the top five, yeah, yeah. like okay. he's not going to join the Bills yeah. and make the Bills better than they are with Josh Allen. I, he might make them worse, actually. But the I think the common vein of thought throughout the fandom and probably through NFL like analytics and analysis and all of that was this essentially is a right off season for the Bills. Everybody knows, like nudge nudge, for the wink, Browns. Wink. we're not, not really sorry for the Bounds. Sorry, yeah. the Bills on the mind. And it was going to be, a, we'll just get this year out of the way. And then next year it will be, a, okay, we've got Deshaun Watson, Amari Cooper, David Njoku is having a great season, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And we are off to the races. And this season has, it's not been the Browns being the Browns. I think the Browns have lost some, lost a game they should have won but have still looked competitive when no one's expecting them to be. And again, it is Mm. into, well, they've got a good head coach. I like Kevin Stefanski. I think he's really smart. He managed to make everyone think Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. Yes, that's right, viewer, listeners. It's still a shot at Kirk Cousins, no matter what team we're talking about. Four and one Vikings, yeah. I mean, bang average quarterback. Um, But you look at what he's managing to do with the personnel and it's not really like, oh, look what he's managing to scrape together. They have got world-class talent. So in a way, we should have been expecting them to do this. I think the benefit for the Browns at the moment in terms of the playoffs is the the Bengals don't look that good. The Steelers absolutely don't look good at all. And that is true. I think we can, I, yeah. as much as it breaks my heart, I would, I would, if we were having those kind of conversations would say, well, maybe it's time we kind of look at the, the Steelers aren't really going to do anything this year. 
with times times can change we're not out yet by any stretch of the imagination the ravens i'm i'm sorry the ravens aren't amazing either that the ravens have won some close games but at the same time like what was the stat was it the Ra- the ravens have lost twice and in both of those games, they were behind for a total of 14 seconds. Yeah. That is an incredible stat, but yeah. that is also a ridiculous stat that should not be true. Well, I I, I mean, and just to create some kind of uh, balance from our two contributors this week, I'm still really big on the Ravens. I, I think the Ravens have looked as good as I've seen this season for stretches. And I think there are enough average teams in the league this year to think that, you know, the Ravens will not only be in the playoffs, but will be relevant. And I think once they're in the playoffs on any given day, like last year's bills, actually on any given day, I think they could be good enough. Um, But yeah, I appreciate your view is different. Um, But with, with those kind of records in mind from a, from a, for a Browns team, you've got to look at that and kind of think, well, you know what, we're not out yet. We can, it's not a case of we need to limp to the finish line of getting Watson back on the field. It is a, well, we, we're, we're still competitive with, with Brissett. We can still win games in there. And to, to borrow something that uh, the now Mr. Limited used to say in Seattle, why not us? There's the question that Browns have to be asking for. Yeah. I picked this game this week in part because of what I outlined when we started talking about it. But also because this is another one of those like potential like milestone games in a season for a team. Yeah. This is the opportunity for either one of them to kind of say, you know what? We are going to take control of our own destiny here. We are going to push forward and we are going to do more. And if you look at it in that way, that's actually a really interesting reason to watch yeah. a game. Well, it, it- when you said you were going to pick this um, before we started recording, it did remind me when I was talking um, Raiders Chiefs last week, it's that whole thing about, I said, you know, the Raiders could come out of it two and three or one and four, you know, and actually it's the same for this, isn't it? With both these teams, they either come out of it at 500 and probably looking upwards, you know, chasing those teams at the top of their division. And, you know, ultimately there might be a runaway leader in their divisions, but the teams we thought were going to be good, you know, the Dolphins in the Patriots case, I suppose you you made reference to the Bengals in the, the Brazil. They're not amazing teams. And actually, you know, I think if you come out of this weekend at 500, you can be looking up and feeling pretty positive. Two and four is a very different place, isn't it? For two teams that aren't playing with their first string quarterback, that maybe does feel a bit of a mountain to climb. But, but yeah, I like it. I like it for those reasons. Um, have you seen enough from the receivers in Cleveland? I'm a bit worried that, you know, have we seen the best of Cooper? Has it really worked out? I mean, I know we haven't seen much of Landry since he's gone the other way and ended up in New Orleans. So I don't think they've necessarily lost a lot of receiver, but have they gained enough so that when Watson comes back, they could do something, do you think? I don't think it matters yet because the okay, the Browns so. are finding success and the Browns are winning. Scoring quite off, decent points, yeah. actually, aren't they? Yeah. Based yeah, off that, that Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt double team. Yeah. And Chubb looks the best he's ever looked. Ab, like ride that guy like yeah. all day, like give, yeah. almost give him the, the Derek Henry treatment, run him, run him some more, run agree. him some yeah. more. And then he, he doesn't look like he's like the energizer bunny. 
when teams are uh, when defenses are run down, run him some more. So there is and an you've element. He's got of, Hunt. If yeah, you know, like you said, yeah. they're such a good one too, aren't they? Um, but there's an so there's an element of the Browns that's like we don't need to see a lot from the receivers yet because the the receivers aren't the reason they're losing games. It's it's not a situation like that. Um, I would like to see more from them. However, I'd like a wider a, a wider game plan. I'd like to see them get involved more. But I would imagine that might be a thing of well, we'll see that once we get Watson in the game. Yeah, because one of the things with the one of the things when his his career as a footballer for the Houston Texans on the field was getting the most out of not not really very many people like Brandon Cooks is is very underrated. I feel a very yeah. good receiver. Yeah, but they didn't really have anybody else. It's it's not superstars. And yet, was the, right. Yeah, I mean a, a lot of people in a similar mold actually underrated, yeah. but not household names. Yeah, I'll give you that. So. I, it, the interest for me with the receivers is, well, let's see what Watson does with actual world-class receivers for the first time. Okay. So we're talking a lot about the future for these teams, but I appreciate that this game probably, you know, sets one up for success and one up for a much more difficult mid-season run. So the time has come, JB. You've given us the runners and riders. Which one of these two teams are going into club dub? It is the battle of the two and three teams this week. And I am staking my claim that the team advancing to 500, the team taking the stance of three and three will be the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns are our first and one of only two teams this week that find their way into Club Dub. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got to imagine they'd have taken three and three. I don't know, maybe Kevin Stefanski wouldn't, competitive guy, right? But I think they'll be pretty happy to be at 500 six weeks in, particularly with, I mean, you know, uh, as a Cardinals fan, I'm looking forward to getting D-Hop, you know, getting Nuke back in the lineup. And as some of these players start to come back, these big names, I wonder how transformative they might be for their franchises. So one game down, one game to go. Um, a little bit of a roundup of our... Uh, picks from last week like I say more time to get uh, Glen Air time but before we do my game of the week is a little more straightforward um, it's an in-division uh, game two teams jockeying out to ultimately lead and probably plan to dominate their division as we move through this mid-season stretch we've got the Philadelphia Eagles against the Dallas Cowboys now a few things did we ever imagine a Cooper Rush-led Dallas Cowboys would not only be this relevant, um, you know, what, what we now, three weeks, four weeks after the injury to Dak Prescott, did we imagine two things, that they would look probably as good as they've looked in the Mike McCarthy era. I think they look well-balanced. I think they've got great performers in all three phases. And I think they look the kind of threat that can limit the opposition while also you know, show that they've got the ability to score points themselves. The other thing that I'm not quite ready to go for yet, but I'm interested to get your view, is if Cooper Rush keeps this up for the next couple of weeks, is there a quarterback controversy in Dallas, JB? Is there a point where Dak Prescott is fit and healthy and doesn't start? Or are we seeing 
a team rally round a promising but limited quarterback and ultimately with Dak back in could the Cowboys be even greater than we're seeing thus far which which of those do you think is is closer to the truth do the team rally around a a limited quarterback who is undefeated well, th- well, this is the point. I mean, there's all this talk about will Dak be back in week six, week seven, week eight. And I kind of feel like, you know, if I'm Cooper Rush, I probably feel a bit disrespected, right? I mean, I mean, this guy is stringing wins together and he's not carrying the team on his back. It's not like when Romo came in and you're like, wow, this guy's got something. But you were talking earlier about what good quarterbacks can do when they stay error free. And I mean, they've, they've got to be thrilled with what they've got from Cooper Rush, right? I mean, there have been very few glaring errors. He has kept them in games. And against lesser teams, that unit as a whole has made the opposition look every bit a lesser organisation. Cowboys are contenders, right? uh, The Cowboys need to keep this up to be contenders because... It's you. You are correct to call out. It's not like Cooper Rush has put the team on his back and carried them through. That this is absolutely a team effort as they've gone on, and you can see that because the the Dallas Cowboys defense last week was just eating. Like they that Rams team yeah. looked as bad as we've seen a Sean McVay team look. Yeah, two weeks and in a row now they've really not looked on it. Yeah, they? the the that defensive line knew where the weaknesses in the Rams line was and they just, it's not even like they picked their way at it. They hit that with sledgehammers and a drill and just powered through. Yeah. Um, It said it made a Sean McVay team look average. And Mm. if they can keep that pace and that ferociousness up for the season, it is unlikely, but Mm. unlikely is never impossible then yes, you have to consider the Cowboys a contender. And if you circle back to the quarterback question, what what would they get from Dak that they are not currently getting from Cooper Rush? Well, that is an interesting question. I mean, I think of Dak as having more mobility, being able to make plays with his feet in a way that I don't quite think Cooper Rush can. But then having said that, coming back from injury or or maybe just doing more of that when he comes back in, maybe makes him more likely to pick up these injuries anyway. I mean, he's really big injury. Was it last season or the season before last? It's, it's always hard. But his last really big injury, that big ankle injury, came from him having to hold and run with the ball. And, and if, Dak, if Dak doesn't that, do that moving forward isn't that mobile quarterback that dual threat type quarterback all of a sudden i think they're far more evenly matched i think they're they're far more even in terms of what they bring to the team um but i mean again i mean i'm always astounded by dallas because as much as jerry jones gets so many you know so much negative press actually i think he has done a better job from a gm standpoint than a number of other GMs over the last five years. I think the players that they've drafted have been exciting. I think the players they've bought in and the way they've prioritised positional talent, I think, has been good. And and to think that they could compete with their backup, there aren't many that can do it, and the Cowboys absolutely are. Um, I think again, just I mean, on that... About, oh, yeah, go on. So I was going to say, just on that Jerry point, I think a little bit of that, maybe a lot of it, depending on what your opinion is, has to come down to maybe... Uh, Stephen, 
Jones, I think his son, who's quite heavily. Yeah, I think yeah. both, uh, there are at least two Jones sons that are involved in the Cowboys. Stevens, the one that always gets mentioned. And if we talk about flashpoint moments, yeah, butterfly effect moments actually may be a more better thing. It's going back to that 2014 draft when Jerry had the phone in his hand wanting to draft Johnny Manziel for the Cowboys. And they took it out of his hands and said, no, we are picking Zach Martin. And that was a great thing because that was another piece in that great Dallas Cowboys offensive line. Yeah. That in some ways with the Cowboys are still trying to get back to. Um, the, the Dak thing, the whole thing with this quarterback thing is, yes, Dak potentially gives you more mobility. If you put Dak back in now incorrectly, Oh, yeah. And you've got a player who is thinking, I have to win. I have to perform because the other guy is right behind me. He is going to put himself under more pressure to win. He's going to do more things to win. We saw it at the weekend. We've seen it like Andy Dalton's a player. We've talked about it before. Players who don't slide. No, Daniel Jones yeah. can't slide. He throws yeah. himself headfirst forward. And that's yeah. how you get injured. And that's how you fumble the ball both yeah. of which we've seen with 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 other quarterbacks as well. Joe Burrow's if, another one, yeah. Yeah, if Dak starts getting into a position where he feels he has to take these kinds of risks, you called out just now, that was how he got injured last season. Yeah. If he's already a little bit wonky, if he's already a little Not bit untrusting of what's going yeah. on, and he feels like he's got to do more, what you then have is essentially a self-fulfilling prophecy of I need to, I need to take these risks. So I retain my spot. I'm injured. The other guy comes in. Yeah, that's a fair point. Trying to do too much. I think you're right. I think a Dak that comes in and tries to do too much, maybe doesn't make the Cowboys better, but I will say, I mean, worth mentioning, we talked about Michael Gallup at the start of the year. And I talked about the fact now they've got two great wide receivers rather than three. Is there, um, you know, a possibility for that wide receiver core to actually be more productive as a result. And and I think the chat at the start of the season was that that maybe didn't carry favour across our whole group. But I will say this, Gallup coming back in, I think it's a real positive for them. It's been great to see him, you know, get a few catches in the last few weeks. And I think if he can return to his best, and if he maybe benefits from the fact that he comes in a little bit later, he's got fresher legs now as we, we get to this mid-season stretch, I think he could be a, a weapon that becomes more and more important as the weeks go by. I think with shots, they've got good tight end. I think there's a lot of things to like about Dallas. Um, and I think they're genuine contenders. I think they make the postseason. I think in the postseason, they are dangerous. Um, but let's just I quickly talk. Oh, go on. Yeah. Let's just say, I think to, comment, to, then to let's go talk to Eagles. your... Yeah, just before we get to the Eagles, I think to circle back to your original question, is there a controversy? You pick the quarterback who will win you games. And if that is Cooper Rush, you continue to play Cooper Rush until such time as you feel he is not winning you games. He is not. He is hurting rather than helping the football team. However, if you think Dak Prescott in the condition that he is in, and I'm not saying he's not fit. I'm saying if he is fit and healthy and you feel Dak Prescott with his mindset will win you games better than Cooper Rush, you play Cooper Rush. The biggest thing the Cowboys have to get right here is how do we execute whatever decision is made? How do we frame this correctly so we are not affecting either? Because if Rush keeps, if Rush wins again, like if Rush yeah. wins, let's say 
Dak comes back in two games. If Rush wins both of those, so he's, he's got then what, six, yeah, six and oh, yeah, six and oh this season, seven yeah. and oh in total in his Cowboys career. If yeah. he gets pulled for Dak and that mm. irreparably damages his confidence, if Dak does struggle, you can't, you could, you might not in oh. theory be putting the same rush back I, in. And this is the biggest problem. I think if if that damages Rush's confidence, he's not right anyway. You need to be you need to have broad shoulders in the NFL. But I think it's interesting. I would be like you. The point you have just made, I think, is where I would be. I think the Cowboys will put Dak back in and not think about it twice. I think Dak carries that kind of weight in that building. He has that kind of stature as their, you know, their franchise QB. But I wonder what the future holds for Cooper Rush, because even if he doesn't get his chance back in Dallas, there are there is always what every year three or four teams who want a quarterback and there have got to be teams looking at him thinking he could do a job and i mean you start if, to look at the likes of chicago i mean fields i think he's looking better but i mean it, you know some of these players like we've talked about with with donald and with with mayfield some of these players need to show a certain level of performance to keep them in a job next year and i think cooper rush is showing the kind of performance that might get him in a job next year but love your thoughts on that we, i think it's we love fascinating a, we love a backup quarterback here at the uh, the club dub football podcast oh i'm all and about I promise listeners yeah. i promise this will be the last thing we talk about before we talk about the eagles but i think that that is the key thing you think rush might be playing not necessarily for his Cowboys future, but for his NFL future. And you, yeah. you just talked about like Minshew mania. I am fully on board for an, us in the off season, potentially talking about Russell mania. See, now that is inspired. I mean, New Orleans Saints, do they look at Cooper Rush? I mean, Pittsburgh, I mean, there's so many teams, but yeah, fascinating stuff with the Cowboys and great that the Cowboys are not the hype that, you know, we've had coming into the season only to disappoint this year. They look like the real deal. Parsons, I mean, they look like they are loaded with players who can absolutely change games with with just breathtaking plays. Their athleticism on both sides of the ball with Zeke and Pollard. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. C.D. Lamb, I mean, they've got talent everywhere and I love watching them. Um Quickly and 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 you know, we we won't take forever. We're, we're putting together a jewel pod and it's turning into a bit of a marathon, isn't it? Um, the Philadelphia Eagles, um, some of the write-ups over the weekend after the Cardinals got themselves back into the game, credit to them, and, and could have tied it in regulation with uh, an Amandola field goal try from 45 yards. I mean, heartbreaking for a Cardinals fan. Um, but there was all this talk about, you know, are the Eagles lucky to be at 5-0? and Excuse me. Firstly, absolutely not, right? They have gone on the road to a not brilliant, but certainly not poor Cardinals team. And they started really, really well. Didn't quite end as strong, but started really, really well. And here's the point I'm going to make about Philadelphia. Even if they'd have lost that game, I think they'd have had an impressive start to this season at four and one. So let's not try and suggest for any any moment they are not an absolutely legit five and O team. Um, I said it in week two. I said it in week three. I'm definitely going to say it heading into what are we now week six? Hertz looks the real deal. We have talked about quarterbacks who need to make a step and need to make a stride. This is a guy that's done it. And I know I talk to you guys not only on this podcast, but but socially as well. And, and we're not all sold on Hertz the way I am. I am absolutely converted to what that guy does. Um, so smart with the ball, so athletic. And also what you saw in Arizona 
at the weekend was so dangerous in the red zone. You know, his physicality in those short yard yardage situations means that he just becomes, you know, an absolute X factor, somebody you have to account for. And I think he just opens so much up for that team. The other thing that we've seen, we've talked about people moving teams and, and how they land and, and how they hit the ground running is important. We were just talking for the New York Giants. Um, was it Kenny Golladay? We were talking about, you know, players who haven't landed. AJ Brown has absolutely landed in Philly. He is dangerous. He is strong. He has got brilliant hands. And I mean, all of a sudden, you start to look at Philly and think this was a team 12 months ago in disarray with a front office that seemed utterly dysfunctional. I mean, they're Super Bowl contenders, right? I mean, a lot, a lot can happen between now and the end of the season. You know, I was about to say they lose their quarterback. I, I actually love Gardner Minshew as their backup. I think he's massively underrated in this league. But I tell you what, from what I'm seeing at the moment, they look like contenders, absolute bona fide contenders. And the thing for me as a Cardinals fan is I come out of the weekend thinking we're still missing DeAndre Hopkins. We had a number of injuries and we kept pace with the Eagles. Yes, it was a heartbreaking loss. And yes, it's frustrating. But I think I feel better about the Cardinals seeing what we did against what I think is a really, really good physical Eagles defense. Hassan Reddick, I think, adds a new dimension for them as well. Um, they, to me, look like absolute bona fide Super Bowl contenders. But here's the great thing. I am picking this game not for the reasons you picked um, Patriots-Browns, right? I think either of these teams could lose pretty heavily at the weekend. I still think they're great playoffs teams. I still think I've seen enough from the first month of the season to think these two teams will both be relevant in January. And that's putting them ahead of a Giants team that keep winning games. You know, I'm not maybe as impressed with the Giants as I am with the Eagles or the Cowboys. But I mean, you know, both these teams strike me as teams that are built for the long haul. And I know you're not a massive fan of Mike McCarthy, and I've certainly not been a massive fan of the way the Eagles are run full stop. But these guys should absolutely be able to put on a show, shouldn't they? This is one of the most exciting games. This is right up there for me with games we've seen like uh, Bill's Rams to open the season. You know, this is a proper mouthwatering affair. Two defenses who are more than capable. Two offenses who can properly go off, you know, if you get their playmakers involved. I think it's the game of the week, hands down. And I cannot wait. So to... To bring my thoughts on the Eagles into, again, a, a a vein that has flowed through this podcast. We're talking about teams and identities, you know, take on the identity of your coach. I think this season we are looking at an Eagles team that have not taken on the identity of their head coach, but have actually taken on the identity of another team in the NFL. And Rob Rose, I can explain this team by asking you one question, and hopefully you're going to understand where I'm going with this. Rob Rose, what do Raiders do? What do Raiders do? Oh, win at any cost, you mean? Just win, baby. Yeah. But it's a different thing in Philadelphia for me. It's almost a... Do what you need to win. Not not in a do what you need to win, as in if you need to cheat, if you need to poke someone in the eye, if you need to do all of that, do all that stuff. It do do what you need to do to win. Don't go don't go overboard. Don't go excessive. This is a long season. Don't overstress yourself. 
um we're boxing is another sport of choice for members of the club dub football podcast and we do spend an awful lot of time talking about chris eubank not for mostly for a boxer mostly for oh, his extravagant nature it's a very but, narrow reference you've got but what what we took one of the things you have to know about chris eubank as a boxer is towards the end of his career it was very much i'm going to out technique you i'm Do going to, to win. dominate yeah. this on points so yeah. you don't have a chance of winning i mean and steve that- collins kind of kind of put him straight on that plan yeah. but yes you were right okay it's, i'm following you yeah, no no there. no plan is foolproof everyone has <laughs> yeah. a plan until they get punched in the mouth that's Steve another Collins. boxing yeah. reference yeah, indeed. um but the thing with the eagles and we saw this with the win against the vikings they dominated that first half they yeah. crushed the viking spirit and did nothing in the second half and that was absolutely fine because they didn't need to they had already Managed won the game, game. yeah it's it's we think about like great games and again we'll come back to that chiefs rams game in mexico city when it's like everyone's scoring 40 points and it's literally just who's going to score the last points not who's going to get the last stop who's going to be the last people to put points on the board that's not what this eagles team is about this eagles team is we're in this for the long haul we are not going to overexert ourselves we are going to execute everything so we win well, I think your your opinion yeah. of AJ Brown is absolutely correct. And that is one of the reasons I'm exceptionally glad to have him on my currently winning record fantasy football team. Thanks nice. very much. Um, but yeah, like going from a Titans team where I don't feel he was properly appreciated to an Eagles team where you can see he is absolutely in the right oh, place. Absolutely. Is, yeah. He just is great. Awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah. I think we saw a little more from Devonta Smith last yeah. week than maybe we have so far which is great i think the run game's good and you're right to call out hurts because he looks oh, he looks brilliant there is Absolute there is an element yardage situations he's so smart those run there's, pass options he's brilliant there, there's an element here of of not not to the same degree but looking at the jump josh allen made now the jump Josh Allen made was an incredible jump. It was mm. a quarterback who everyone had said does not possess these skills, will not be able to do these things. And was like, hold my beer. I'm going to go out and prove this. And what you've now got is, is, is Jalen hurts performing at the absolute best of a Jalen hurts. He is maximizing every talent and every skill that he's got. And you're right. This is a fantastic game to watch. I just, I've already talked about the Cowboys, so I couldn't pick this week. Well, I'll I'll be really quick. One one more point to make. You've just mentioned Nick Sirianni and he is worth mentioning because we've talked about new head coaches. And I think in Chicago, I think particularly in Denver, that's not working out, right? I mean, these are guys who may well get it right, but inexperience has shown. I think what Nick Sirianni is doing in Philadelphia is nothing short of remarkable. I mean, they they looked a long way away from being the Super Bowl team. And when did they win? When am I going back to? 2018? Did they win the Super Bowl? It's it's funny with COVID. I'm I'm not good on years all of a sudden. Um, but I think they are 2017. Suddenly, yeah, I was because I'm in the right realm, aren't I? With yeah. with the Philly special yeah. and all that stuff. But but the incredible thing for me is to from where they were to be back at the absolute sharp end of things i think is is phenomenal and credit goes to what they've done with personnel and and what nick sirianni's done in terms of game plan and executing so there's a decision to be made and i'm going to keep it brief because we've got a few other bits of business before we finish off game of the week for me by country mile and the team that goes into club dub is 
I'm going the Eagles. 6-0 Eagles. They break Cooper Rush's run. Let's put him in club dub. So, JB, before we finish with um, no Google, all noodle, um, talk to those in listener land about our pick and records for last week and how our special guest picker did for, well, we've had, what, one for the last three weeks in a row. How did it all go down? So I am absolutely ecstatic to be able to tell everybody in Listenerland that for the first, oh no, not for the first one, for back-to-back weeks, we now have all four of us with not losing predictions. Yay! Um, it came down to a tiebreaker this week as well. Our tiebreaker, of course, being what is the score of Thursday night football. Um, so this week in the regular club dub standings, uh, Phil came in fourth with eight and eight. Uh, JB just squeaking ahead in third with nine and seven, which left Rob Rose nice. and oh, Aldrin yeah. to argue it out over 10 and six each. Well, nice. And with a, with a closer, not correct, but a closer Thursday night football victory. Uh, unfortunately for us, James Aldrin took his third victory of the season. Wow. Um, he is so far. It's gone. Aldrin, me, Aldrin, Phil, Aldrin, which I, I mean, if we're following win. that pattern, okay. means you will be this week. Let's and then Aldrin yeah, will be the week one. after. Yeah. Um, so congratulations to him. Can't be with us today, but we know he's here in spirit. However, Indeed. we have mentioned Glenn and we will bring Glenn in now. Uh, metaphysically spiritually not physically <laughs> for a segment we are retroactively hello glenn just drop us yeah. an email let us know we are retroactively calling club dub versus the world where every week a, uh, a different person is able to come in and see how well they can do against the club dubbers and um it's not an auspicious start for us on our first official named part of this segment because Glenn actually came in on top with an 11 and five success. So okay. shout out to club dub Superfan Glenn for a victory there. And who do we have playing club dub versus the world next week? Listening Superfan well, next week is uh, this, uh, this coming weekend. It is a uh, club dub super fan Monty. A, a big Detroit Lions fan who uh, has enjoyed kind? some of our great uh, favouring of the Lions this season, as opposed to past seasons when we were less than favourable. But so, the uh, before we get to Rob's big question, of course, the big question that I have for you is, is I, uh, listeners, I know exactly what you're thinking. How can I take part in Club Dub versus oh, World? Well, if you would like to make some picks for us, please get in contact via the email address Rob Rose is about to give you clubdubpodcast at mail.com or any of our social channels for that matter. So messages on our YouTube videos that go out each week. Obviously you can message us through um, the platforms that you're listening to the pod on, the likes of Spotify and so on and so forth, um, as well as Twitter and things like that. So yeah, get in touch and you can be part of this moving forward. Nice. Good luck, Monty. Great work, Glenn. Um, and great work, JB. I think in Aldrin's absence, we doubled it up and we made it. What was it? A, a Subway sandwich with double meat filling. Um, yes. I think we've lived up to to that heady um, and glorious aim. Uh, before we go, all that's left to do is um, resolve the toughest quiz question in podcasting. Um, the Titans of Tennessee may have had a name before they were the Titans, but who were called the Titans before adopting their current names? Which NFL team were previously called the Titans? JB, your answer is? 
So I, I'm about to sit here and say, I think I know what the answer is. Oh, and I just have this really awful feeling that I'm about to say, I know what the answer is. Explain my logic and have you explain that I am wrong. so far away okay. from the answer. So uh, I believe, and this is going to be tricky to see if you'll let me get away with this. I believe the answer is the New York Titans. So... Talk me through your logic. Um, I think this is what the Giants used to be called. Okay. And I, 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 there is something in my head that just remembers us having conversations about like previous names of teams and teams moving around and all of that kind of stuff. And obviously, because yeah. the the Giants is also a base, is the baseball team? No, that's San Francisco, San Francisco Giants. Giants. Yeah. 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 I think the New York football giants were originally the New York football Titans. So here's how gutted you're going to be. No, New York, New York's football giants is a name. I mean, most commonly referred to as the New York giants, but you're absolutely right. It was New York's footballing giants. It is also true to say that there were, literally the name was New York's footballing Titans, New York's Titans. The only problem is that that was not the previous name of the Giants, oh. but it was in fact the previous name of the Jets. So the T New York Titans was correct, but between 1959 and 1962, you would have found the New York Jets called the Titans of New York. So there you go. Um, hope you got it playing along at home in your car, wherever it is you may listen. Um, it's the toughest quiz question in podcasting for a reason, JB. Um, you should feel very proud. If you'd have left your answer at New York, then you would have been correct, the New York Times. Yeah. But yeah, your, uh, your explanation took you further and further away. But you know what? Great effort. Great podcast. And I'll catch you next week on What Tuesday. Normal service will be resumed next week. So you'll have all of our thoughts on week six um, on Tuesday and then the next recap show Thursday. But yeah, have a lovely week, everyone in Listenland, and we'll catch you all very soon. Thanks a lot. This is amazing. Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends. The game is over.